Kia ora everybody. How are we going? My name is Sam. It's really nice to be here um, to speak in our series on prayer or um, it's great. Um, just to say though, as a series on prayer, this is, this is not really my sweet spot when to talk about prayer. I mean, um, they usually roll me out to talk about culture or something big and abstract and out there. That's cool. It's sort of out there. Uh, but prayer is, is nice and personal and close to home and obviously because of that, a little bit more dangerous. So this is not my sweet spot. I'm a little bit more nervous and apprehensive about this one just because it is a little bit more close to home. Um, so I want to take you back to something at first that, that was really an important uh, moment for me and that was in 2006, I met someone uh, and it was love at first sight. I met theology. Um, I, yeah, yeah, some people have also met theology as well. Um, I, I felt like I, yeah, very romantic. I, uh, I feel like I found my thing. Um, I wanted to hang out with theology all the time. Um, I wanted to figure life out next to theology. I wanted to read about theology all the time. We were like BFFs. Um, and I've sort of been in and out of formal study of theology now for about 17 years. Uh, and now I do it for work and recreational purposes. So basically, I'm living my own dream, which is uh, really nice. Um, uh, and it legitimately, funnily enough, it brings me joy. Uh, and scarily, I find it fun to read lots of books about that. Um, you know, they say that when men, when we reach our 30s, uh, we base our entire personalities on one of four things. Uh, it's either golf uh, or barbecuing or craft beer or lawns. Um, now I know a few of you have ticked more than one of those things. Uh, we won't get any hands raised, but I'd already found my thing. I already got theology. I didn't need any of those guys. Um, so, you know, theology is kind of like my favorite hobby. You know, I love thinking about big ideas and, um, you know, using big words and reminiscing about Rob Bell. Um, but, you know, <laughs> um, you can actually hide behind ideas. Uh, and you can certainly hide behind theology. Uh, I think often it's easier to talk about God than it is to talk to God. And often we fear God, not because he's big and scary, but because often he's so real and often we are not. And so I think the, the fear can often exist there. But prayer is, is coming into contact with a God who is more real than we are uh, and will not be turned into a hobby. Um, so <laughs> we will have to do some theological ideas because you can't stop me, but also it's really just this morning just to clear the ground to sort of get a few things out of the way to be able to get to the heart of this um, because it's often our hand-me-down theology um, that can cause us to miss the astounding reality of what prayer is. And the thing with this is language can only go so far. So I'm going to try my very best, but there's a certain point where language kind of stops being helpful with prayer. And we've just listened to a scripture that says, uh, we don't know how to pray as we ought. So the very spirit intercedes for us. So we don't know how to pray um, because what on earth would creatures have to say to a God that knows them better than they know themselves? So it kind of doesn't work. So I want to suggest that, um, you know, today's talk, which is called Falling Silent in Prayer, um, is actually a really logical response because it's not a conversation we carry, it's one that we join in on. 
uh, or to quote uh, old mate Hans Urs von Balthasar, <clears throat> who I love just for his name most of the time, but he says, all of a sudden we just know prayer is a conversation in which God's word has the initiative and we, for the moment, can be nothing more than listeners. So relax. Your prayer life uh, is not really about you. Um, It's not Christian community service, uh, but it is for you. So we're gonna talk about silent prayer. And when I told this to someone a little while ago that I was gonna be talking about falling silent in prayer, they suggested that I should just stand here for 25 minutes as a performance piece and just stare at you. And um, I seriously considered that. Um, But then I thought, actually, that could be like a, a passive-aggressive review of my preaching. So I thought, no, stuff you, mate. I'm going to use my words. Um, so falling silent in prayer would have been a pretty foreign concept with me for, for me as a, an excited teenager. Now, along with a few of you, I grew up in uh, Pentecostal charismatic churches uh, for most of my childhood. Yes, yeah, I got a few whoops there. You give yourselves away by your response. Um, <laughs> we're all the same. Um, I grew up in the back of a boom of Pentecostal charismatic churches um, that occurred in the 70s and 80s. And it was this rediscovering across the world in certain churches that God's spirit was alive. It was here, it had things to say, and God actually wanted to interact in real time with us as human beings. So it was awesome. Like I have very good memories of that. Uh, And I'm really grateful for my upbringing in that because now my default is... God wants to be involved in my life. He has things to say. And his presence is not just a concept. It's actually a thing that's here. So super grateful for that basis. However, (laughs) as most of you will be aware, in in churches like that, sometimes cultures can emerge in churches like that where people can start to chase experiences for experience sake. Um, And it can get a little bit confusing if you're growing up in it. And so alongside that, uh, some churches uh, can operate as if only excitement uh, and volume and extroversion are the only markers of what makes a passionate Christian. Um, So my theology of prayer grew up pretty confused, I think. Um, So I think I still have a little bit of a a hangover of all that stuff. Um, So Honestly, when someone gets up to talk about prayer, I start to seize up a little bit. Um, I sort of brace myself because what I think I'm going to get is I'm going to rev you up and make sure you're really excited about prayer and you're praying enough and you're a proper Christian. And so I often find myself seizing up ready to get that. So I'm going to try and do something really opposite to that today. Um, if that wasn't enough, I've also had a few uh, different experiences with prayer growing up. I think I remember my very first prayer in memory was when I was five and I prayed to God that I would get a particular Flintstones toy in my Happy Meal. And I got it. Yeah, I did. I remember high-fiving my dad and being like, whoa, God answers prayer. And he's like, yeah, buddy. And I was like, yes. And it's a very cute moment. It was a great introduction to it, actually. Um, fast forward a few years, I'm a teenager and uh, we we left school, me and some friends in my friend's car. We left school one day to grab some stuff. We were driving back and uh, we realized that the, the petrol was empty in the car and we were freaking out because we didn't know if we could make it back to school. Uh, it was an empty tank of gas and there was nothing worse back then than getting in trouble. So we were all freaking out, <clears throat> didn't know what to do. And because I was a super Christian, I prayed and I said, 
Lord, I, you know, something like, I pray we'd get back to school or something like that. And uh, we all watched in horror. This is not made up in the slightest. We all, all watched in horror as the needle went from empty to full, as the tank of gas filled itself up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We were all just like, what's happening? I don't, I don't think I liked that experience, actually. It was like too real. Like, it worked. Um, so we were all kind of horrified and excited, like, what do we do with this? Um, and the, the atheist girl next to me was like, I want to get out. Um, it was crazy. I was like, yeah, me too. Um, so it was weird. Um, just to say, I know the, the, uh, the cost of living is going up. So if you'd like me to pray after, over your car at the end of the service, I'm very happy to do that. I have a 100% hit rate. So I've only done it once, but it worked. Um, yeah, I'm sort of scared of it happening again, actually. So maybe not. But um, <clears throat> so that happened and that really stuff with my mind. What do I do with that? Um, and then I remember attending youth groups uh, when I was in my teens, and I'd hear talks from well-meaning young people saying things like, God listens to the loudest prayers. And that, I didn't know what to do with that either. And so I'm listening to all this kind of mixed up ideology about prayer. Um, and then one really bad incident happened when I was about 17, came along to a church about this size on my own, I sort of snuck into the back and um, was just checking the church out on my own as a teenager, already awkward and self-conscious. And in the middle of the sermon, just like this, the preacher who was a circuit preacher found me in the crowd, pointed me out and said, God has a word for you and you need to come to the front. And I'm freaking out because I don't know anyone. So I, I like reluctantly walk to the front and I'm awkward, self-conscious. I'm 17, but I look 12. And here I am at the front. And to cut a long story short, he and a small group of other people prayed really aggressively for me at the front of this church. And I'm obviously really uncomfortable. And he's pushing on my chest, trying to get me to fall over. Um, and I'm not enjoying this. And eventually I just fall over to get it to finish. And um, they kind of, I think they gave themselves high fives and stuff. I don't know. It was really traumatic. And I they sort of slunk off to the bank of the back of the, the church again and I never went back. Um, just to say, when we pray for you here, no one will be pushing you over. All prayer is consensual. Um, we'll only push you over if you ask for it. And I've never, I'm to be, to be asked to do that so far. So, um, so I had all these weird experiences running around my head uh, when it came to prayer and growing up, and it was, it was really confusing. Uh, so I think, I think I've processed that now, uh, but the lingering theology I acquired was that prayer was something that I have to drum up, um, that I have to do it within myself and exert lots of effort into because it all depends on me. The beautiful reality is, though, that the New Testament spins a very different yarn about prayer and about worship and what it means to be in relationship with God. God actually invites us into an ancient conversation that we don't start and it lacks nothing. But often we, when we pray, it feels like it all still depends on us. Uh, most human approaches to spirituality do. We are the ones that have to close the gap between us and God. But I think Jesus completely reorients this. So what, Jesus, uh, what difference does Jesus make to our prayer lives? Uh, what does it mean to pray as a Christian and not just someone who believes in God in some way? 
Another confusing addition to this is our particular time in Western society. And in our particular time, prayer has become quite sexy. So uh, we live in a time where lots of meditation and mindfulness practices are talked about, and people talk about this, which is neurotheology, this idea that prayer has neurological benefits. Um, So most of this stuff will say, Prayer evokes feelings of love. It activates parts of the reward systems in our brains. Um, our frontal part of our brain is activated by prayer and, and, and focused activities like that, so it stops our brains from deteriorating, which is great. Um, and praying for other people um, increases the compassion part of our brain. Um, and yes, of course, absolutely. So yeah, there are, there are neurological benefits to prayer, and you don't, I don't want to disagree with that. But all of these approaches frame prayer as something that we can control. Prayer in this kind of frame exists as a therapeutic practice and and therefore it becomes domesticated. And God does often bring peace. um, But that's not the point. God can be a comfort and a confrontation. Sometimes we get peace. Sometimes he might want to get at us and throw a few tables around. Because it's God we're meeting in prayer, not just our own inner impulses. It's about communing with that which is so completely other and holy and beyond us, but at the same time so loving, so available, and so for us. So we're actually entering into a mystery beyond us, uh, and it's not something that starts with us. You with me so far? Cool. (laughs) Thoughtful nods. That's good. Um, So... Because I have to, I am going to do a little bit of fun systematic theology, um, because it is my hobby. Uh, But I'm going to simplify um, a theologian called James Torrance. So here are a couple of models of the ways we often imagine our relationship with God to work. So the first one, it's like a transaction. You You might have seen me put this up before. It's like a transaction. There's us down the bottom, and God is somewhere out there, and He is waiting to be interacted with. So what we have to do is close the bridge between us and God uh, through our own efforts. We might send our prayers up to God, and if he's feeling happy that day, he might send down uh, some sense of peace or presence or some sort of revelation. Um, and so prayer in this, uh, in this model is an exercise of putting in the work so that we get formed. We become better prayers, um, performing the act of prayer because it's just us and God. It's like down to us to dial the number. And the technical word for this is Unitarianism. Um, and there's a, the idea that there's a singular creator God and then there's us down the bottom. And most Christians wouldn't say they believe in this, but uh, many of us actually, actually kind of operate like this kind of is the way it is. Um, that it's all down to us. But prayer is not a transaction because remember, we don't know how to pray. (laughs) So what on earth could we actually give to the whole transaction process? So that's the first one. The next one is the existential model. And in this model, here's our lives going going ahead in like a chronological line. Uh, We might be praying, worshiping, reading the Bible, um, being ethical, I don't know. We're going along and what we might be hoping for is every now and then, we might get what we can refer to as a God experience. Like every now and then, God might let us experience something that we deem to be more real than all our other experiences. 
And so what becomes most important in this bottle is the experience itself. Um, and a lot of modern church culture can kind of set itself up like this. And a lot of churches can anxiously try and create experiences because this experience is the most important part. An experience is a massive part of church, but it's for something else. And the most concerning thing about these two models is that Jesus doesn't really make much difference to either of them. You know, he might give us his name to pray to now, um, but that's about it. Um, I think the good news, though, is that it's not down to us. Uh, and whatever prayer is, it's actually too big to be measured by our experience. So what difference does Jesus make to prayer? So if I can have the next one up. It's kind of like this. To put it bluntly, you're not the most important person in your prayer life. Uh, or your worship. You aren't the key agent here. Uh, he is. So it's something like this. The Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves the Father, and through the Spirit, we get to participate in their relationship. We get to taste and live in a love that's existed before time between them. We're entering into something that's always existed. We don't start this. So it, doesn't, it actually doesn't matter at all if you suck at prayer. <laughs> um, Jesus doesn't, right? It doesn't matter that much if you don't want to do it. Um, it's not based on how much you enjoy it. This is bigger than all of us. Prayer is a miracle. You're actually free. You don't have to do it. <laughs> but it can change everything. And earlier generations, I think, often knew this better than we do now. So I just want to show you an icon. This is um, by an, a 15th century iconographer named Andre Rublev. Very famous piece called The Trinity. Um, and in this piece, we see from left to right the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And all their faces are turned inward towards each other uh, in love, in communion, a community of union. And this, this piece is, is packed full of symbolism that we don't have time to get into. But I just want to draw your attention to the fact that that's a love that is experienced between all three persons of the Trinity. The Father, as you can see, he's blessing the work of the Son. The Son is turned towards the Father, pointing to the sacrifice in the middle of the table as his life's work. And the Spirit is also turned inward towards the others, but is also pointing to the space at the table. The Trinity is open, leaving space for us to, to join it. It's an amazing invitation. And I actually have this um, sitting at my desk at work to remind me of the reality that I live in, that I'm being invited into a deeper reality. It's an invitation to participate in this life, not a command to start the conversation, but to enter into something that's already going on all the time. When you pray, you are joining a conversation of mutual love that extends beyond time. You are crashing a party uh, that's been waiting for you to do so. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been waiting for you, longing for you to meet with them. You're included. Nothing starts with you, and everything is available to you. This is what this icon is trying to tell us. It's actually very moving, I think, to, to meditate on. And let's be honest. Prayer, uh, prayer can be banal, uh, repetitive, and frustrating. 
the familiarity of something so simple uh, as prayer can often uh, cause us to forget what we're actually stepping into. To pray, though, is nothing short of opening ourselves up to the deepest of realities. It's to commune with the most real. I told you language would stop helping at a certain point. (laughs) To pray is to snap out of autopilot and to inhabit the gravity at the deepest part of ourselves, where we are held by God at the core of our being, where we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as we actually read. Trying to talk a big game because you can't really get the language for this at all. In October 2021, uh, in Auckland, we were neck deep in lockdown. Um, and personally, I was dead in the water, to put it, to put it mildly. Um, I couldn't see anyone. I felt trapped. The lockdowns kept extending. You, you were all there. You know all about it. You get it. So what did I do to get through those days? Well, I went back to my old mate, Theology. Um, I found him again uh, and had lots of time for my hobby. Uh, I really impressed myself. Sometimes I went through a book a day. I really got into it. But I was struck eventually in this time by this unavoidable gnawing feeling uh, that I was feeling dead while reading about God. Um, I was feeling uninspired while unpacking the source of life. And I started to sort of sense this dissonance between those two things. Um, I had to sort of allow God to be more than a hobby again, to maybe open myself up to Him again, not just tick the prayer box and do my Christian community service, but to actually open myself up to Him. And I was challenged to actually take what I was reading seriously. And to chop up the story for the sake of time, God really showed up. And I just learned to sit with Him and to listen to Him and just be with Him. And prayer changed drastically for me. I was no longer seeing it as something to do, uh, but a way to get at something else, something else or someone else. I had tasted something uh, that had given gravity and meaning to everything else. Life became, as Florida Scott Maxwell says, fierce with reality. I don't know how else to say it. I wanted to stay close to this way of seeing and and not lose sight of it. Um, I was feeling a heart of love that revealed all is sacred because it was all loved by God. Again, I'm starting to not be able to use language properly here. And unlike my narrowed view of life seen through lenses of obligations and actual despair actually at that time, I started to see it with a, a new dimension that the best of life was always happening around me and it felt like the only logical response was gratitude. Um, Prayer was no longer a task to complete, um, but a way in. Um, It was how I could stay close to the one who could keep showing me depths of life and keep opening my eyes to the miracle of existence. Inviting the Spirit to speak was no longer a chore, but a refusal to allow myself to shrink back to what was previously manageable. I woke up. I don't know what else to say. Um, God pulled me in. And it really started a time of quite profound spiritual renewal for me. So now when I go back to my old buddy theology, um, It's still there, but it's like someone has switched the lights on and the words are alive in a new way. 
And because it's God we're communing with, language can only get us so far. But if I had to kind of put it into my own words, it would be something like, at its best, prayer is the place in which we see life for what it really is, a profound experience of grace and givenness. Our very existence is a gift. I think prayer is uh, the closest thing we have to a near-death experience because just like near-death experiences, uh, to pray is to be confronted with that which is most real and most alive and most important. It's to meet God, (laughs) the Trinitarian life pulsating at the core of everything. It's it's less of an act we perform um, and it's as it is a waking up. Um, Learning to see this has helped me to move out of a sense of obligation around prayer into a profound sense of wonder. And I know I'm not the only one in this room that's experienced something like this. This is truly a life reorienting thing that happens. And at the end of that passage in Romans that we just read, Paul says, um, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And falling silent in prayer is a way of actually entering into what that really is. A recognition that our part to play in prayer is just getting alongside this God. Um, And so now, not as much as I'd like, mind you, but when I pray, what I kind of do is I'll light a big candle and then I'll get a little candle and light to that little candle and the big candle to remind myself that my entire existence hangs on Him. And I just sit and often I just meditate on the fact that I'm not drumming up anything. I'm not starting this conversation. I am not initiating things. I am entering into a reality of the triune God who are already speaking to each other And I'm entering into this quite scarily weighty reality of a God that is waiting for me to speak with Him. And so a fear and trembling aspect of entering into prayer is not that I'm waiting to be smashed by God, but that now this moment is so full of a kind of gravity when I'm entering into it. It's not me doing a task for God. It's me recognizing my sonship and stepping into this reality in gratitude. And doing this has actually, I honestly, changed my heart in ways I could never have done for myself. It truly feels miraculous. And so I have had some crazy experiences <laughs> since then, but that's not the point. The experiences aren't the point. The experiences are there to remind me of what is true all the time that God has made a space within himself to commune with him. And it's the deepest of realities and it's open to all of us. Um, A colleague and friend, uh, Greg Liston, um, puts it this way. My experience has been that realizing that in prayer, I'm not just praying to God, but I'm praying in God has fundamentally changed the way I pray and worship. Instead of me revving up the enthusiasm and will to give God the praise he deserves, I now approach prayer and worship more like sinking into the life of God. It is not stressful. In fact, it's truly life-giving. It's a sinking in. And falling silent in prayer is 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 a way of allowing yourself to find your place 
at that space in the open table where God is. And again, language starts to only go so far. We can only talk about it for so long because prayer is not a science. We actually need to step into it ourselves. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna have about a minute of actually just falling silent in prayer and then we'll wrap up as we really invite God to do what only He can do in this. We can't make this happen. So let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, when we pray, we are not um, starting this conversation. We are um, with gratitude and with trembling and with awe. We are recognizing that you have made a space at your table for us and that you have invited us into this ancient conversation in which we are so loved as a child of yours. Would you, uh, would you create a new hunger in us? Because it's you that initiates prayer. Would you do that for our church? Would we uh, start to find in prayer a new life, a new way of seeing? Would you help us all to wake up a little bit more as we uh, get alongside you, Lord? Um, would we know your spirit working in us, pushing us towards you? Uh, as we understand our place at the table. So Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us into the relationship between the Father and the Son. Would you come now and would you show us a little bit more of who you are and make us a little bit more aware of this reality? May we all um, come to know this reality a little bit more as we pray this week into the future, um, that this is not just a concept or something we do. This is the depths of life that God is inviting us into. Thanks.